0: Morning. Friends, as we begin very quickly, notice there that comment of Ruth. Amazed by his kindness, his consideration, Ruth confesses to Boaz, I am a foreigner. I am a foreigner. You don't need to be an avid follower of current affairs, to know that immigration is a political hot potato for the United Kingdom at the moment. Indeed, rightly or wrongly, for many, the immigration issue drove the case for Brexit in last year's referendum. Whilst... I voted personally to leave the EU, for me, the issue was more about our country's sovereignty than immigration. Personally, I have always recognized that our country has a responsibility to welcome migrants, especially those suffering the effects of war and famine, and disease. Having said that, there is an aspect of the UK's all-inclusive and mutually tolerant approach to minority groups and people that troubled me. In favor of a anti-discriminatory policy, our country, I believe, has been guilty of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. You see, in the name of equality, we have surrendered our Christian heritage, morals, and values And therefore, as a nation, we have become increasingly pluralistic, increasingly syncretistic, increasingly universalistic. In short, my friends, we are no longer a Christian country. We are no longer a Christian country. Indeed, in some respects, the situation has been turned on its head. So much so, Christianity and Christians are actually marginalized in our country for simply practicing and proclaiming the full gospel of Jesus Christ. James McConnell. Michael Stockwell, Adrian Clark, Michael Overd, and there are others. Names that you may not be familiar with, but friends, these are the names of Christian pastors and preachers right here in the United Kingdom, who have very recently, that is to say within the last couple of years, stood trial stood trial in the United Kingdom for so-called public offenses, public order offenses, for preaching the gospel, for declaring the Word of God. Preach Christ crucified these days and claim that Jesus is the only way to God And you in danger of being branded a racist. Three thoughts. Firstly, foreign religions. Secondly, foreign rights. Thirdly, foreign rewards. Ah, you're saying to yourselves, it's all very political tonight, pastor. Perhaps. But one of the problems with our nation today is that the Christian church has taken a step back from politics when really we ought to have taken a step forward. Foreign religions. When studying the Old Testament, a glance at some of the Pentateuchal laws that prohibit marriage between Israelites and foreigners seems to give substance to the view held by some that the people of God were racist. But race, in our terms, is not a concept of which the writers of the Bible had any idea whatsoever. The distinctions, indeed antagonisms, of the ancient world were not about race in our sense of ethnic or or color distinctions, friends. Rather, they were about culture, about tradition, about religion. The only kind of discrimination which we find in the Old Testament is cultural, religious, and not racial. The Deuteronomic prohibition about intermarriage was not based upon a concern about race, as I understand it, but a concern about religion. In Deuteronomy 7 4, Intermarriage was forbidden. Why? Because I quote, they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Friends, that's not about race. It's not about creed, not about color. It's about faith. God's prohibition that his people, Israel, would not intermarry with other nations was about faith. And we have in Ruth, the foreigner from Moab, Proof, friends, proof that God was not so much concerned about his people, Israel, embracing other races by intermarriage, but about embracing other gods. John Austin Baker is a, wrote a book, a difficult book to read, but if you're that way inclined, I can commend it to you, called Racism and the Bible. He says, the first principle on which all Christian discussion of the question of race must be built is that as far as humankind is concerned, there is only one group. To be a member of the covenant people of Yahweh, therefore, is a matter of response in faith to this universal promise of grace and not a matter of race or color Or ethnic background. And so it is with Ruth and Boaz. Though Ruth understands herself to be a foreigner. Notice Boaz welcomes her. He welcomes her as a member of the family of Yahweh. Under whose wings she has come to take refuge. Similarly, my rejection of the false religions of my country's ethnic minority groups, whilst considered by many to be politically incorrect, does not make me a racist, though I'm branded thus by many. As a Gentile, There's a sense in which I myself am a foreigner. (laughs) A foreigner who has been accepted, if you like, grafted into the covenant people of God by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Whilst I am not prepared to embrace the false, the foreign gods, I long in Christ to embrace ethnic minority peoples, groups, and neighbors. Just because I don't want the gods, small g, doesn't mean to say I don't want them. On the contrary, I want them with all my heart to embrace my Saviour not a question of race. It's a question of faith. And if Jesus Christ is indeed the only way to God the Father, then I want all those of other ethnic minority groups to deny their false gods and embrace Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved but hey if the BBC picked up this recording tomorrow can you imagine I might not be with you next week or the week after we jest but I tell you it's heading that way And I reiterate therefore, for that recording's sake, and for those who might listen to it subsequently, Doug Atherton is not a racist. But I long all those minority groups in the United Kingdom to deny their false gods, small g, that might include materialism, the pursuit of wealth, hedonistic living, you name it. And embrace Jesus. My friends, that does not make me a racist. But it might make me radical in 21st century Britain. Oh, that God might raise up men and women of God who are radical. <laughs> what about foreign rights? Have you noticed anyone who is anyone these days are claiming their rights? When we lived in Aberdeer, Deb and I and the girls, we lived for some time in a flat. And the flat backed onto a car park. And inevitably, therefore, from time to time, we'd have uh, young people playing football in the car park. It seems they delighted to kick the ball against our flat window on regular occasions. Bash, bash, bang, bang. And on one occasion, inevitably, the window went through. I, sadly, wasn't particularly sanctified that particular Saturday afternoon. I'd taken so much bashing and banging and, but when the window went through, I rushed outside and I was pretty quick for an old man and I managed to get hold of one of these little, little, little whippersnappers and I was like this with him and he says, hey mister, I know my rights. And I stopped because you know something? He was right. There was only one person going to get locked up that Saturday afternoon, and it was not the young whippersnapper. It was me. Kids, this high, know their rights. Criminals, locked away in prison because they've done crimes against the state. They know their rights. Everyone who is anyone knows the rights, don't they? And are all too quick to claim those rights, to declare them. One of the striking characteristics of the book of Ruth is here we have two individuals who both had rights Oh yes. Not just moral rights, but rights according to the to the law of God, the Torah. They both had rights, and yet refreshingly, neither of them, Boaz nor Ruth, neither of them declared their rights. Neither of them sought to have their rights maintained on their behalf. Isn't that something? There's a sense in which both of them were prepared to let their rights go for the greater good. Boaz let his rights go as an as a owner of the field... To care for, for Ruth. Ruth let her rights go, it seems, as one who could legitimately glean behind the harvesters as an act of respect. She, she humbly bowed down with her face to the ground. She could have declared her rights to Boaz. Boaz, don't tell me what I can and cannot do. I have Deuteronical rights to glean. But no. How refreshing. To find two individuals and one of them a foreigner who had rights. But was prepared to let those rights go for the greater good. Friends, I am reminded of Jesus. If ever there was anyone who had rights, Jesus had rights. He had the right to a fair trial. Did he not? But he forsook that right. For the greater good. He had the rights to speak. For his own defense, didn't he? But he forsook that right. For the greater good. Jesus had the right. As the son of God. To call down legions of angels. And to remove him from that cross. Didn't he? But he forsook that right. For the greater good. Jesus. Had rights as the eternal son of God. And friends. He forsook all of his rights for the greater good, that good, the salvation of the world, the salvation of a miserable so-and-so like me. Oh, what a salvation this is. Jesus forsook his rights because he wanted to save me. Hallelujah. No wonder we praise Jesus. No wonder we lift up His name and declare, declare His righteousness, His sovereignty, His wonder. If there was one person on this planet who had rights that should be, could have been upheld, it was Jesus. And He forsook His rights. How often do we become preoccupied with our rights? Even within the confines of the Christian church. Oh pastor. I have my rights. True enough. But oh. That God would humble his people in these days. That we would be more concerned. About the greater good. The advancement of the gospel. The salvation of souls. Than clinging on to our rights. I tell you, our nation is in a terrible state. And much of it because people are declaring their rights. Minority groups again are becoming very vocal these days, haven't they? Declaring their rights. And it's led to a nation that's confused in all manner of ways. Without sense of direction. How wonderful Boaz and Ruth. They had their rights. But they surrendered their rights for the greater good. Surely friends. This is the Christian life. Jesus said if anyone would come after me. He must what? Deny himself. Surrender his rights. Take up his cross. And follow me. Ah, it cuts across doesn't it? Cuts across the flesh. Cuts across what Doug Atherton wants. Cuts across what Doug Atherton deserves. Cuts across all of that. I've got my rights. Jesus says, oh, My child, I surrendered my rights for your salvation. If you want to come after me? Surrender your rights. Humble yourself before the Lord. And the wonder is, those that do are lifted up by whom? By the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will lift you up. Oh, in this life, granted, you might get... uh, the wrong, the, the the butt end of the joke all the time. You might get the uh, always misjudged and, and and dealt with in in irregular and difficult ways. But ultimately, payday one day, we'll be glad that we surrendered our rights for God's kingdom's sake. Foreign rights, friends. I pray that God would give raise up a church in these days of men and women of God who are happy to surrender their rights to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. But oh, our churches, they're full of Christian brothers and sisters, brethren, who are declaring their rights. And all the time Jesus just shows us his hands, his feet, and his side. <laughs> the marks of our redemption that he still bears in glory. <laughs> Here's your example, he says. The example of Ruth. The example of Boaz. My final thought concerns foreign rewards. Rewards. It focuses upon one of the most amazing prayers in the Bible. Now you might say, if you're a purist, well surely pastor, this isn't a prayer of Boaz. Boaz responded to Ruth's humility in verses 11 through 12. Certainly when you hit verse 12, I believe Boaz has gone into the place of intercession on behalf of... You can exchange notes with me later if you disagree, that's fine. As long as you've got a good reason to disagree. (laughs) But he's moved from mere comment to prayer. Look at the language. May the Lord repay you, Ruth, for what you have done. May you Ruth be richly rewarded by the Lord. Interesting the it's all uppercase isn't L O R D now modern translations, of course that's referring to Yahweh, the covenant name of God in the Old Testament. May Yahweh reward you, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What a beautiful. Beautiful prayer. Friends, if you're going to pray for me tonight, you might not feel that way inclined. I grant you that's fair enough. You've heard me enough. That's fine. But if you're going to pray for me this week, would you not echo the the prayer of Boaz for Ruth? For your pastor. It's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? May the Lord repay you. The Revised Standard Version says, recompense you. Ruth, what you've done. May you be richly rewarded. The Revised Standard says, May you have full reward by the Lord. And here is the crux of the prayer. The God of Israel, mighty, you come under His wings and there take refuge. Hallelujah. Oh, friends, if I want... If I want to be anywhere tonight, I want to be finding refuge under the wings of a loving Heavenly Father. Metaphorical language I grant you, but a reality for those who are in Jesus. Living under the shadow of His wing. It's one of those old testament analogies that just causes my soul to jump with joy within me living under the refuge of his wings we haven't the time really but only if we did it's a uh, it's a motif if you like that we find throughout the Old Testament. The Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, verse 11 onwards, uses the same imagery. Moses declares, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions, the Lord alone led him. Hallelujah. What a beautiful picture. Similar pictures are drawn in the Psalms. God's wings described as a place of safety in Psalm 17 verse 8. The psalmist says, hide me in the shadow of your wings. Oh, are you safe tonight? Hidden, hidden in the shadow of his wings. In Psalm 36 verse 7, the same imagery is used as a place of refreshment. The psalmist says, Men find rest in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. Are you refreshed tonight? Because you're living under the shadow of His wings. In Psalm 57 verse 1, the same analogy is used as a place of stillness in the storm. Boy, as a family, we've been buffeted by the storms of life these days. Ah, stillness in the storm. The psalmist says, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy, for in you my soul takes refuge. Notice soul. <laughs> Our lives physically, mentally, emotionally are buffeted. But our soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Psalm 36 verse 7. The same analogy is used as a place of help and relaxation. The psalmist declares, Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 91 verses 1 through 4. The same analogy is used as a place of hope when circumstances are otherwise full of fear. The psalmist declares, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the from the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield, will be your rampart. Now I could go on. I could keep you here all night. Has the penny dropped yet? It's hard work up here, I tell you. Has the penny dropped yet? What a prayer. What a prayer of Boaz for Ruth. That she might live under the shadow of the wings of God. He's praying that she might know safety. He's praying that she might not be refreshed. He's praying that she might know stillness in the storm. He's praying that she might know help and relaxation. She's praying that she might know hope. Boy, oh boy, if you're going to say a prayer for me tonight... Pray that I might live under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty. What a prayer. What a prayer. Living under the wings of the Almighty. Friends, we don't deserve it. We are foreigners. Any Jews amongst us didn't think so. You're a foreigner. Oh, yes. You're a foreigner. I'm Welsh, you say. Equally so. But you're a foreigner. You're a foreigner. But hallelujah tonight, because of Christ, because he did not claim his rights, we are grafted into the vine, the holy Israel of old. And consequently, therefore, like Israel of old, we live under the shadow of his wing. The promise given to Moses is the promise given to Doug Atherton tonight. Live under the shadow of his wings. The promise given to Isaiah is the promise given to Doug Atherton tonight. I will rise on wings like eagles. I will run and not grow weary. I will walk and not faint. Why? Because this foreigner is born again of the Spirit of God and is grafted into the vine. The holy Israel of old. Oh, what a salvation this is. I get excited, don't you? Some of us do. What a prayer. Foreign rewards. Do we deserve it? Not at all. But that's grace, you see. The grace of God. All the riches of Christ, of God at Christ's expense, are ours tonight. Because Jesus was prepared to lay down his rights. Praise Him. Praise Him. He was prepared to lay down his rights. Can you imagine how it breaks his heart when all too often he hears his own claiming their rights? must break his heart. When he surrendered his rights. For your salvation and mine. A conclusion. Actually a twist in the tale. A twist in the tale. What's the twist you say? Well Boaz prayed this beautiful prayer for Ruth. But as the story unfolds. Through whom. By whom. Was Boaz's prayer. Answered for Ruth. The prayer. Became the answer. Isn't that something? The one who prayed. Was the very one through whom. the prayer. Was answered. <laughs> you see. Boaz. Ultimately brought Ruth security. That was his prayer. Boaz ultimately provided refreshment and nourishment for Ruth that was his prayer Boaz (laughs) eventually became the one through whom she found a new home and had a new family and in point of fact was eventually included in the messianic line talk about grace (laughs) isn't that something my friends be careful when you pray be careful when you pray. Because, because oft times, God nudges the prayer to be the vessel through which the prayer is answered. Interesting, Jesus says, look on the fields. When you see the fields ripe unto harvest, pray the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send forth laborers. I did that once, you know. I did that once, thinking I was getting away with it. Ah, oh, the Holy Spirit laid His hand upon me and convicted me as I saw the harvest fields ripe unto harvest, men and women, boys and girls, dying in their sin. I was convicted. And I read on, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. The same. Hallelujah, I thought, thank you, Lord. And so I started praying, Lord, send forth laborers into the harvest field as soon as I started praying, I started to feel the hand of the Holy Spirit upon me. And the more I prayed for God to send forth laborers into the harvest field, the more the hand of the Holy Spirit was on me. <laughs> Go ye therefore. So be careful when you pray. Be careful who you pray for. Because oft times, God answers that prayer and uses the prayer as a vessel. Which is actually wonderfully humbling, isn't it? How extraordinary. That God should answer Doug Atherton's prayer. By sending Doug Atherton. Whew. You might not be impressed by that. <coughs> but I am. Because I know what I'm like. I wouldn't have sent me. Plenty of other really good Christian folk I would have sent before I sent myself. Oh my goodness, yes. I could look across the pews and think, God, send them and them and them and them. Me? <laughs> How extraordinarily humbling. God looked at Doug Atherton and thought, hey, you go. You be salt and light. You be an ambassador for the King of Kings. You declare. My truth to the nations. Wow. To pray is a wonderful thing. To be the conduit through which the prayer is answered. Is even more wonderful. More wonderful. Oh it's demanding. Oh my it's demanding. But it's wonderful. Again payday one day you'll be glad. That uh, you were the answer. To your own prayer. On behalf of others. A foreign policy. Boy if ever our nation needed one. It needs one now. It's not about race friends. It's not about colour. It's not about creed. It's about our desire to see men and women. Boys and girls. Who are currently going to a Christless eternity. Find Jesus. If that makes me politically incorrect, then I'm politically incorrect. If that makes me a target for the media, then I'm a target. If it puts me in the dock one day on trial, then there are many, 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 many good men and women of God who have gone before us, Have't there? And Jesus. He's the ultimate example. Didn't stand on his rights. And so you and I, let us not stand on our rights. And we've got them. Let's surrender them. So that as we pray, men and women, boys and girls, might find Jesus. But friends, rest assured, as you pray, you shelter under the shadow of the wings of God. And there's no safer place In this side of heaven and in glory.